You're listening to the Galatians Spying Out Our Liberty in Christ series, preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. I love singing those songs, and I've got to tell you, I don't, know, I don't know what it is, but since I've been asked to be up here and more active part of the music ministry, I've really taken the time to, to think about the songs and to think about what they mean and, and really to think about the generations of believers that have sung these songs behind us and that, that will sing these songs in the future and how wonderful it is that we get to sing songs to such a great God, to a God who loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us and we get to join this universal body of Christ and someday know that with all those folks that have sung these songs in the past and in the future that we will sing these songs someday in heaven. Worship and praise to our God with them, with, with all the body of believers. It's a wonderful thing. And so I really encourage you to, when you come, to come to worship, to come to praise. And now we get the opportunity this morning to open up the word of God and to know that it's God that gave it to us and that he gave it to us because he loves us, because he has a message that he wants to get across to us. And it is the message of the gospel and then the message of all the things that flow from the gospel. It's this, the Bible is truly the story of redemption. And so this morning we'll be looking at Galatians chapter 5. I want to begin this morning by bringing to our minds what I think is kind of a cultural phenomenon that probably wasn't the case in past generations. It probably wasn't the case throughout the course of history. And that is that when we look at our society and we think about how our society functions, we find a very consumeristic society that, that tells us that we should never settle that we deserve the best, that we should reach for the stars and we should follow our dreams and we should take what we deserve, that we can be who we were meant to be. And it's, it's this society that is constantly pumping us up and telling us that we deserve what's best and that we should absolutely never settle. We should treat ourselves, have it our way. It will be our best life now. That is what our society and even some Christians, or at least people who call themselves Christians, try to tell us. It's all about this life, and it's all about us, and it's all about what we can get. But what's interesting about this is even though we are subjected to this constant barrage of marketing that attempts to to make us believe that everything that we can find in this life can be found in stuff and in items, that all of those things that are telling us not to settle are actually making ourselves focus on things that are second best. And so in their attempt to say, don't settle, reach for the stars, do your best, have our product, this will make your life joyful and wonderful, what they're actually doing is taking your attention off of those eternal things and the awesome God that we serve and putting them on things that are temporal, that are going to rot and rust and decay, all these things that don't last. And so this shininess is distracting us from what's actually wonderful and, and true. If I was, if I was to ask you, three things that you would hope would characterize your life, three qualities, I wonder what you would say. I can almost guarantee that most of us, if not all of us, would not say that, that we hope that, that a mansion, that this wonderful house would just characterize what our life is about, that that's what we live for. I don't, I don't think it would be that. I don't think it would be our car, a Mercedes, or something nice like that. I don't, I don't think that we would say, it's all about my car, or money, Right? Yet those seem to be the, the American dream, is a big house and a nice car and, and lots of money so you can do what you want. You can really enjoy your life. 
I think if we were, especially the believers in this room, if we were truly to be honest, some of the things that would find on most of our lists would be things like love. Man, I want my life to be characterized by love, by the loving relationships I have with other people, with my family, with my friends, with, with my community, with our, my church family. And, and even more than that, I, the love that I can have with my Savior, with my God. I hope that is something that characterizes my life, that when people look at me, they say, that's a guy who he loves, and people love him, and it's... it's there's a lot of love that goes on in that life. I think we'd all want that. I think if we said another thing, it might be joy. How many of us wouldn't wa- don't want to be joyful? Right? That, is, that is really the pursuit of mankind, to find happiness, to find pleasure, to find joy. And so we, in all of us, we have this desire to have joy. How many of us would say, yeah, no, I'd rather have a Mercedes than true joy? I think anybody would, right? And so we want joy. And finally, peace. Just inner peace. Knowing that everything between you and God is okay. Knowing that, that when you pass from this life, no matter what sufferings you go through, that God is in control, that he knows you, he, knows, he has you in the palm of his hand, and someday you'll be with him forever. That is, that is wonderful and awesome peace. I think love, joy, and peace are three things that we love to have our lives characterized by. And so if you offered me that, if you, if you could market that to me, I'd say, sign me up right now. I'd rather have love than I would a mansion. I'd rather have joy than I would a Mercedes, and I'd rather have peace than money. I hope we'd all say that. We get distracted in this life by these things that are shiny and new, and sometimes we miss those things that are amazing and wonderful and that can only come through this, through the word of God, through the message of Christ, through the gospel, and through, through his spirit. So here we are this morning in Galatians chapter 5. And Paul has spent Galatians chapters 1 to 4 to show us very clearly that justification, which is being right before God, having the righteousness of God in your life, that justification comes only by faith alone apart from any works. There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing I can do. We cannot be baptized enough. We cannot do enough good works. We cannot do religion. None of these things help us to be justified. The only way we can be right before God, have a right standing with God, is by faith in the finished work of Christ. What he accomplished on the cross is all that we need. Faith in that. And that is how we're justified. So Paul has explained that in chapters 1 to 4, and then we become to chapter 5. And the question is now, well, then if you're a Christian, if you've been justified, how do you live? You know, what do we do with this Christian life now that we have this freedom in Christ? And Paul says, well, you need to stand fast in your freedom. That's how you live. You live in the freedom that the cross grants to us. And then he goes on, and he explains that it's not about putting yourself in bondage to the Old Testament law again. You can't say, well, I'm going I'm to live in freedom, and what I'm going to do with my freedom is I'm going to fill it up with all of these laws once again. And he says you can't use your freedom just to pursue your selfish indulgences. It can't be all about you. That We've been given freedom for a reason. And so if you were to ask, do we come under the bondage of the law of the Old Testament? Paul would say no. If you were to say, do we make ourselves new laws to keep ourselves in line so we can do this in our own strength? Paul would say no. Should we use fear to motivate our obedience? And Paul would say, no, that's not it. We shouldn't just use fear, and we shouldn't think we should do whatever we want. Christ came to set us free from the curse of the law, so we should be free. And we cannot, 
and will not ever keep any law in our own strength. Our flesh does not have the capability to keep the laws of God. It is impossible. It, it, is, it is not within us. Our tendency is to think that the solution to our battle with our adversary is to simply try harder. Our best efforts might seem like the best response, but the best works of our flesh are more of a hindrance than a help. Fear was a restrainer of sin in the Old Testament, but here we have love as the greatest and strongest motivation for the believer. The love of Christ, what he did for you, and then the love that we reciprocate to him because of what he's done. Freedom was bought with the blood of Christ and should not be used for ourselves. It should be used to glorify God. And so there is one essential truth that Paul wants us to get across in this living of the Christian life. We ask the question, how do you live? What do you do with your freedom? One essential truth found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Paul says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And this verse right here is our key to understanding the entire text that follows. If we are to walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We will not do all these self-indulgences. We won't even try and build ourselves up with new laws because we don't need to. When you're walking in the Spirit, you keep the law of Christ. It fulfills the law. And it is so essential that we understand that walking in the Spirit is what this Christian life is all about. And so in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18... Paul explains that there's this massive battle going on inside of us, that our flesh, our old nature, it battles against the new nature, the, the God inside of us, the Holy Spirit. And there's this battle going on. But if we will live and walk by the Spirit, we will not be brought under the law, under the curse of the law once again. And in chapter 5, verse 19 to 21, Paul gives us the fruit or the works of the flesh. And this is just a, a real reality check for all of us. We talked about this last Sunday night, and I'm telling you, it's one of those messages, you come to it, and it's like a kind of a depressing message, because what it does is it forces us to see ourselves for who we are. We look at Paul's list of what the flesh does, what is inside each of us, and we find a lot of wickedness. We find a lot of evil. We find, even in our good things, we have bad motivations. We see ourselves for who we are, and we are our own worst enemy. And so that is who we are apart from God. When we are not walking by the Spirit, when we are walking in the flesh, verses 19 to 21 characterize who we are. Let me read them. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uh, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That is the flesh. It's wicked, it is evil, and the fruit that it produces is terrible and decaying and destructive. And now we come to verse 22. And this is the exciting verse to get to because it's like, yes, that was your flesh. That, that's who you were. That's what you are without God. But now we find out when we walk in the Spirit, what is possible, what we can be. And so let's read Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, 
meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. I want to point out a couple of things in that list that might seem very obvious, but I think it's important we, we understand them. And the first thing is this. When we read that, is the word fruit singular or plural? Okay, this is a question I'm asking you, and so is the word fruit singular or plural? Great. Yeah, that's, we're really good at this, aren't we? Um, the problem is we have technology, and so it's like, where do I click? You know, how, how do I find the answer? Um, it's, it's a singular word there. Okay? It's, it's the fruit. It, there's no S. Right? It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And the reason I bring that out, and the reason I think it's, it's important we get, is because these are not nine disjointed characteristics. These are all interconnected. And so what it does is it helps us to, when we diagnose ourselves, to say, well, I have this terrible, terrible, awful temper However, I think I love pretty good. You can't say that because the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit produces in your life is both love and self-control, temperance, right? And those things are interconnected. If if we're truly loving like we should, then we will be showing people self-control. We will not be reacting to anger. We will not be being so selfish because we're not consumed with ourselves. We are showing love. So all of those things are interconnected. It's important that we get that. We can categorize them. When we look at love, joy, and peace, we, three, we see three of our, the attitudes of our hearts. When we look at long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness, it relates to how we, we relate with other people. And then the final three, faith, meekness, and temperance, are three marks of Christian character. And so we can categorize them, but I want us to understand that they're all connected. And, and it's, the Bible's not expecting us to just work on one of them at a time. These are the fruit that the Spirit produces in your life when you live a life by the Spirit. The second thing is this. The fruit is real. It's not fake. Okay, now, I I want us to get that because it's not that we fake it to make it. It's not like we look at this list and then we just try and pretend like we have those things. We try and staple them onto our lives. That's not it. It's real fruit that's flowing from your life. And so if you find yourself always constantly pretending, there's a bigger problem. The problem is maybe you don't have the spirit creating the fruit, giving forth the fruit, all right? Because the fruit is real. It's not fake. You think that that's crazy. That's, that's so obvious. Okay. Imagine a person that you go to their house and they claim that they have the nicest Christmas tree that's ever known to man. It's just, it is just beautiful, a beautiful Christmas tree. And then you walk in there and you see this tree and sure it looks kind of pretty, but you see the tag on it. It's a fake tree. I mean, could anybody claim to have the nicest Christmas tree that ever existed and then have it be a fake tree? It doesn't make any sense, right? You know what? The the same kind of thing we see happening in Scripture. When we look at Matthew Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, this is Jesus. And he says, Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And I, Jesus, will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. What they're doing is they're saying, they're coming to him saying, Lord, look at all of this, this plastic fruit. Look at all these plastic decorations. How can you not be impressed by me? Look at what I've stapled to my life. And Jesus says, I never knew you. And so, yes, you can pretend. 
Yes, you can fake some of these things, at least outwardly. Certainly, you can't fake it in your mind. But the fruit is real. It is the normal expectation of the Christian life that is lived when we walk by the Spirit is that we will produce these things. So it should be happening in your life. As you walk by the Spirit, there should be this real flow from your life of all of these characteristics. The final thing that I want us to notice is that the fruit here is not a respecter of persons. Meaning, there is no talent required. You don't need need to be of a certain class. You don't need to have a special gifting. You don't need to be a certain person in order to bring forth this fruit. What you need is to have the Holy Spirit residing in you. The Bible says if you don't have the Spirit of God, then you are none of His. So if you know Christ as your Savior, if you know Jesus, if you've trusted Him for salvation, then the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. From that point on, I want you to get that there is nothing that you need that you don't already have to bring forth this fruit, no matter who you are. So every person here, not just the pastor, not just the the super spiritual people that know their Bible so well, it is everybody here that knows Christ their Savior that can bring forth this fruit. It's not a respective person. It's not just you or you. It is, it is everybody and its expectation for all those who are filled with the Spirit <clears throat> to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, so now that I've said that, what I want to do this morning is I want to look quickly at the first three things on this list. And I want us to see how wonderful it would be and just cast this vision for us how wonderful it would be if our lives were marked by just these three things. We're looking at, at love, joy, and peace. Tell you something, the only place that you will find love and joy and peace is when you walk by the Spirit. The world can't give it to you. You can't buy it. Okay? You can buy pleasure for a time. You can block, buy chunks of happiness and and even buying that, you've got you to start spending more and more money because it never, it never lives up to the last time. You can buy some of those things for a short period of time. You can never buy love. You can never buy true joy. You can never buy inner peace. And so let's look at what the Spirit offers for us this morning. We talk about love. I don't know where to begin with love. Love is the driving force behind all of creation. Okay? God, in his perfect unity of love, decided to make free will creatures that could love him back. And so he creates this world for that purpose. To show us his love, to have us to love him. God didn't need us, he didn't need anything else, but God created this world in his love. Love is the reason for redemption. Mankind falls, and then immediately the promise is made that God would send a redeemer, that eventually Satan would be defeated. So the entire storyline of the Bible tells us the story of God's love for us, God's love for sinful people, and his mission to redeem them and to buy them back for himself. There is no greater motivator in this universe than love. The Bible says God is love. God is love. Martin Luther said, Love is the image of God, and not a lifeless image, but the living essence of the divine nature that beams full of goodness. God is love. Love as an attribute is not only limited to God. Love is something that that God designed humanity for. He designed us for love. Uh, I was reading a book by Charles Spurgeon this week, um, and 
he had a, a, a number of wonderful quotes in it. I can't, I can't believe when you read Spurgeon, it's like everything he says you want to quote. And so it was everything I could do not to just read his sermon this morning. Maybe that would have been better. It probably would have been better. <laughs> but let me read you this. He said, a man will love a dog or a bird sooner than be loveless. Captives have been known to fall in love with rats, and even spiders on the wall have been objects of their affection. A little flower that could not speak has been the prisoner's beloved friend. We must have something to love. Oh, and what wealth of love Jesus brings into the heart when he enters it. You were designed to love. And when you have nothing else to love, you'll find just these little things and unimportant and stupid things to love. But can you imagine that you're created by the God of the universe and you're created for a love relationship with him? That he sent his son to die because he loved you so much and so that you could truly have that relationship, so you could love him back, so you could be in fellowship with him? Love is what it's all about. Imagine having the love of God and, and really experiencing it and knowing it. The problem with so many of us is that we know some of these things in our heads, but they don't translate to us. They, they, they don't... They don't get past this part. They don't get in here. And so we're, we, oh yeah, I know God loves me. Really, do you know that God loves you so much that he gave his son for you? Do you know that? Because that should change how you look at this world. It should change how you treat other people. It should change how we treat one another. Love changes everything. And so it's helpful for us to understand what kind of love this is. The Bible uses the word agape and agapeo so many times. Um, Agape is just, it's, it's this wonderful love that is volitional. It's, an, it's a decision that somebody's made. It's sacrificial. It is not based on the other person or their actions toward me. Agape love is I love you unconditionally. And I know we tell each other, yes, I love you this way. Tell you something, I don't, I don't know that any of us love each other this way. Really. Only God has this, this love down pat. Now, Christians, believers, we are commanded to love this way. And so what's wonderful is that when we have the Holy Spirit of God residing in us, we now have this ability to, to love in a way we never could before. But God's love, agape love, is volitional. It is sacrificial. It is a decision that God has made to love humanity. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22... Peter said, seeing that you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit. So you've purified your souls through the truth. That is salvation. The truth is the gospel. Seeing that you've done that, you've accepted the gospel, you believe truth. Now you have the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Once you've accepted that love, now you have the Spirit you are enabled to love the brethren fervently, passionately. That's what we're commanded to do. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. That's what love is. Love is sacrificial. He is given to us, and so then we walk in love just like Christ loved us. Jesus said, John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. So love, it should characterize our lives. Imagine what your life would be if it was truly characterized by love. If you, if you loved other people, imagine what that would, that would change. If we thought of others first, if we gave of ourselves, if we were sacrificial. I, I can't imagine what that would do with our families, with our church family. 
there, it would just be this, this amazing, massive um, change in all of us. If we just love the way God loves. Uh, I know I'm talking, and this is a tall task for anyone. Um, but what we'll find out very soon is that we are not given this task to do alone. So we have love. We also have joy. Joy is the constant search of every human heart. But true joy will never be found outside of Jesus Christ. It has been said that all the world's joys come from the grave of our risen Lord. All of the world's joys. There is no true joy apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This evening, Brother Stan Mays will be preaching from Philippians chapter 4. And I'm not trying to steal any of your thunder, but what's amazing in Philippians is that it's a letter that is written to a church that is going through an incredible amount of suffering. They're being persecuted all around. They're losing friends and family and businesses. They're, they're going through hard times. And he writes to them, and he says, I mean, Philippians is the letter of joy. And he says in Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. I wonder if that's where Stan is going with twist and shout. It's all about joy. It is. And so imagine that. This group of people who are, their circumstances are as bad as they could be. And Paul's writing a letter of joy. Of ex- I mean, he's in prison writing to people suffering, talking about rejoicing in the Lord, that there's true joy found in the Lord. This is an amazing thing. We all want joy. We all seek it in all the wrong places. And there's true joy offered to us in, in Christ. It's amazing. Let's move down the list. Peace. The gospel is called in a couple times, Romans chapter 10, Ephesians 6, the gospel of peace. And I do not believe this is talking about our circumstances. It, when, you, when you look at the New Testament, you cannot say that when those people accepted Christ, they found circumstantial peace. Okay, what they found was a lot of trouble. What they found was a lot of trials quite often. It's not about our circumstances. It's not that you're going to have peace. That means nobody's ever going to be mad at you and you're never going to have people want to hurt you, that everybody's just going to love you all the time and there's going to be peace for you and peace on the world. That's not it. Okay? When God came to give us peace, it is peace on earth, goodwill toward men. The, the peace is not over the entire earth. The peace is between mankind and God. Okay? That, that is what Christ came to accomplish. We, the peace is inner peace that we have with God. So the peace that we're looking for is not a peace that we can create ourselves. It is the peace of knowing God is our Savior, of knowing everything is right between us and God. A man named Elliot said, I could not live in peace if I put the shadow of willful sin between myself and God. Do you know how to destroy your peace with God? Live in willful sin. You, if, if you desire to have a relationship with God, and if you think that you're going to get the peace that the gospel offers and live in willful sin, to continue to sin, you're not going to find it. The peace with God we have is, is knowing everything is right with God and knowing we're in this close relationship with him. I know as believers, this, this is what we do sometimes. We know that eternally our soul is safe. We're secure in Christ. And so we stop caring as much whether the relationship with God is right every moment of every day. We don't pillow our heads at night and say, 
do I have full fellowship with God at this moment? Is there anything that I've put between me and the Savior? Am I pursuing anything in front of him? Because when you stop doing that, and when we start pilling our heads at night and saying, God, this is where I messed up. I am so sorry for this. God, I want to be right with you. I want to follow you. I want to love you. This is what I want to do with my life. When we start doing that, we experience a peace that we were designed to have that we can only find in the gospel and we'll only find when we're, we're trying to live out the gospel. Your, your peace is not just poof, you're a Christian, poof, you, you're going to have peace in your mind for the rest of your life. No, this is, it is now available to you. Now you, in your relationship with God, stay right with him and you find that peace. So we're offered peace. D.L. Moody said, A great many people are trying to make peace, but that has already been done. God has not left it for us to do. All we have to do is enter into it. The peace that you're looking for, for your soul, has already been accomplished. And you just need to enter into it in Christ. If this morning was a marketing campaign, I would try and sell you on the benefits of each of these things, and then I would offer a solution that costs $19.95, five easy payments of $19.95. And if you buy love and joy now, I'll throw in peace for free. Right? It's not a marketing campaign. This is real life. And these things are not easy. They're not easy to come by. Even when we pursue them, oftentimes we find ourselves coming up empty. I think deep down we all know that love, joy, and peace are better than stuff. And so if we were to say, I'm going to pursue love, joy, and peace for the rest of my life, we might come up empty. So here's the key. Because I usually hear this, this passage of Scripture preached in this way. You're a Christian. You need to have love. You're a Christian. Be joyful. Okay, I'll be happier. Um, it's, you're a Christian. Have peace. Yeah, okay. Thank you for telling me that. But The key to this passage is not Paul saying, Galatians, you need to um, be more loving. Galatians, you need to be more joyful. Galatians, you need to to have better peace. I mean, just force it upon yourself. That's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, he says, walk in the Spirit. That is the imperative. That is the command. So the command in this whole text is, is for us to walk in the Spirit. And then we're told later on, this is the fruit of that walk. And so for the command for you this morning is not for you to go home and try and just do more love or be more peaceful or something. The command for us is to walk in the Spirit. The Spirit of God has been given to every believer, and now we have this opportunity to walk with Him every day. And that is the walk that will produce true love. That is the walk that produces real joy. That is the walk where we find real peace. And we won't find it even in pursuing those things themselves. Walk with God. Walk with Christ. Walk with the Spirit. It's the same thing. And that is where we find all of these things that we search for everywhere and we always come up empty. And that's it. The key is, verse 16, these things, love and joy and peace, they are not the goal. They are a byproduct of the goal. The goal is for believers to walk with the Spirit. So two things I want you to walk away with this morning. Number one, God has enabled you and desires for you to live in love and joy and peace. We're just just doing the first three this morning. God has enabled you and he desires for you. 
This is his desire for you as his child, to walk in love and joy and peace. This should be the normal Christian experience. When you look at Scripture, you look at how Paul wrote, Paul expected that when God comes to live inside a person, that that person changes, that there's fruit. And this is the fruit that that happens when we walk with the God who lives inside of us. This is not for the super spiritual. This is not for everyone else. This is is for you. If you know Christ as your Savior, walk by the Spirit, these things will happen. God has enabled you. He desires for you. And the second thing is this. Walking by the Spirit is essential. Walking by the Spirit is essential. The word walk, the idea of the Christian walk is used very often in the Bible. We are told in Romans 13, 13 to walk honestly. Um, we are told in Ephesians 5, 2 to walk in love. In Colossians 4, 5 to walk in wisdom. In 1 John 1, 7 to walk in light. In 3 John to walk in truth. We're told all over scripture to walk this way. And when we start adding those things up, we start finding that there's no way that we can ever do them. And then Paul says in Philippians that we should walk as he walks. So wait, you're saying I should be like the Apostle Paul? Yeah, that's what he's saying. And then we find in in 1 John 2 verse 6, it says, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. So if you say you abide in Christ, then you should walk like he walked. Okay, so you know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to go home and just be like Jesus. It's a tall order, right? And then he says, walk by the Spirit, and that makes everything possible. Because it is not your power, it's not my power, it is not us doing this on our own. It is us living beside God, being empowered by God, and then just the fruit being born in our lives. Because of that walk. Walk like Jesus. Constantly look to him. Constantly look to the cross. And, and be filled with the spirit. It's not about trying harder. It's about walking with God. We have one life. You can pursue whatever you want. You really can. You'll suffer the consequences for those things. But we can. So the question this morning is, what will we pursue? If we will pursue a walk with the Spirit, we will find love and joy and peace and so many other wonderful things. And if we pursue those things our own way, I'm telling you, you're always going to come up empty. Work hard with the Spirit's power because the truth is the Christian cannot know victory any other way, only by the Spirit. Let's pray.